Sandra, what's the common denominator between sex hobbits, floating casinos, Cuban cigars, classified documents, fashion models, and the U.S. Navy? What? I mean, sex hobbits? What the f***? <laughs> what are you talking about? Okay, you gotta focus. We need a connection. I don't think anyone knows. Stop telling me to focus. I'll never figure this one out. Fat Leonard, that is the answer. <laughs> is, he, is he like the pirate version of Trump? I want to know more. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, Sandra. Hello, Neil, and welcome back, Dupy friends. Who are we going to talk about this week? Someone not political. We need Thank a break goodness, after yeah. spending, yes, a month on Trump and the Republican federal court organizations. <laughs> yeah, it's been too much tragedy and despair. I mean, maybe a little bribery would be a nice change of pace, perhaps. <laughs> How about our boy Fat Leonard? He's like hush puppy in a sense, but even worse. I mean, in all the ways, he's even worse. Now, Leonard Glenn Francis, a.k.a. Fat Leonard, that's the nickname his friends and the press use for him. We didn't come up with that. We're not pet shaming anyone. So Fat Leo is the most prolific scammer who ever stole from the U.S. military. Yeah, he really is. And um, he reminds me of this. The bad guy in Dune is a big guy who floats with a sort of anti-gravity suit. Yeah, it's sci-fi. Don't judge. <laughs> but Fat Leonard makes me think of Obama, like the emperor in the movie, just completely disgusted by the newspaper headline in front of him about one of his presidential appointments being, you know, ostracized in the press and saying, bring in that floating fat man. <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean... Guys, Fat Leo has overcharged the U.S. military for contracts for hundreds of millions of dollars over the past 30 years via his supply company, Glenn Defense Marine Asia. He accomplished this by bribing Navy officers with expensive meals, parties with young girls, upscale hotel rooms, basically rock-style, lifestyle type of stuff. And all of these perks were to get them to look the other way when he overbuilt the Navy via his supply businesses, which serviced and restocked U.S. Navy ships in ports around Southeast Asia. If every U.S. Navy officer who was guilty of taking a bribe from Fat Leo were punished, the U.S. would probably not have a Pacific fleet <laughs> due to lack of personnel. Which is why he's not in prison right now. Yeah, probably. But he's not free either. This is a complex story with lots of moving parts, some funny, some decadent and straight seedy, some serious from a legal standpoint, and some of it's quite tragic. But in any case, Fat Leo is the defense contractor at the center of the biggest bribery investigation in U.S. military history. So how does one get to become a guy like Fat Leo? So Fat Leonard, this is a guy who owns a floating casino stocked with the finest wines, a flock of Asian strip club dancers, Cuban cigars, five-star meals, all that kind of stuff. Are you thinking of a new line of work? <laughs> <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> well, sorry, but Fat Leo was born into this business. He's from Penang, Malaysia, which for those who didn't pay attention in geography class, which is most of us, I guess, yes. is the port city between the South China Sea and the Bay of Bengal, roughly in the middle between India, Cambodia and Vietnam, Indonesia and the Philippines. 
Sounds like a good place to smuggle stuff from on a boat. Exactly, which is what people did there in the 19th and early 20th century, in particular opium, as we should all remember from history class, which we paid attention in just as much as geography class. <laughs> hey, we've got an episode to do here, wake up! <laughs> okay. <laughs> So during those days when everyone between India and Hong Kong was a smuggler or supplying a smuggler in some way, Leonard's grandfather had a business not very different from the one Leonard started to serve the US Navy. The family sold fresh water, food and fuel to merchant ships who came into the port of Penang. And Leonard's father wasn't Malaysian, he was Scottish, an enlisted man in the British Army when he met Leonard's mother in Singapore. I think an important dynamic that plays out in Leonard's life is that his mother came from a wealthy family and Leonard's father did not, and his father seemingly was both obsessed with and hated women at the same time. Yeah, I agree. This influence from his father does play out in Leonard's life a little later, and according to Leonard, his father would bring his mistresses to their house even when Leonard and his brother and sister were home with their mother. And he would lock his mother in the bathroom while he spent time with the other women. And if she protested, he beat her up. Yes, it's terrible. So from this toxic family situation, Leonard grew into a pretty hard teenager. His mother fled to England with his younger siblings, and his father sunk deeper into depression and tried to drown it in alcohol. As a result... Leonard wound up running the family ship supplying business at a pretty young age. But it wasn't the shipping business that Leonard wanted. He wanted to party. And not only that, but provide the party to others. So he spent his family business money on a bar he opened near the Penang docks, which attracted a regular crowd of triad guys, Chinese mafia. And here is where my dubimeter alarms start going off because I think this is the point in Leo's life when he decided that doing legal business entirely is boring and not as profitable, despite the massive risks. Yes, and they recruited him into something illegal soon enough. Leonard agreed to be the triad guy's getaway driver after a planned robbery of a local kind of back alley moneylender. The triad guys got away, but Leonard was soon caught with the guns and the foreign currency that they gave him as his share of the robbery. And we'll assume people know about the excessive criminal punishments in Singapore and Malaysia. I mean, this robbery was a capital offense. Leonard could have been executed for participating in an armed robbery, even though no one was killed during the crime. He actually shared the prison cell with two other famous criminals, Kevin Barlow and Brian Chambers, Australians who were hanged despite international outrage in the mid-1980s for smuggling a small amount of heroin in Penang. It was Leonard's mother who came to his defense. She flew back home from England and together with his father begged, pleaded, and offered whatever bribe money they could raise to try and save Leonard from being hanged as punishment for the triad armed robbery. After $20,000 in fines and who knows how many bribes, Leonard was free from prison in Malaysia and clear of the triad armed robbery case in the late 1980s. Yes, so then in the early 1990s, the U.S. Navy was seeking to establish ports in Malaysia and Leonard saw an opportunity knocking. 
husbanding agents are a necessary evil for the US Navy and Leonard became one. Now, the term refers to a broker who gets supplies and organizes other contractors that the ship needs when it arrives at the port. Because a damaged ship needs her husband. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I mean, even the terminology of this business seems to fit with the trauma that Leonard grew up with between his mother and father. Husbanding agents are people who pay off whatever local bribes are required, whether they be to port administrators or police or local mafia, to get the ship whatever it requires. And in the case of the U.S. military, these supply officers and fleet coordinators have never suffered a budget setback. Of course they didn't. <laughs> yes, everybody in the world knows that the U.S. military has a basically unlimited budget to spend whatever it wants. And spend they did, because everyone wants their cut of the money and what it can buy. So Leonard used the money from his bars and his family's shipping supply business to bribe his way into U.S. embassy dinners, holiday events on U.S. military bases and other such gatherings. And the United States spends the money to project its influence abroad. It isn't an empire like the 19th century declining British Empire. The U.S. doesn't occupy foreign countries militarily. It uses the money to get people to do what it wants. Yes. So in the early 1990s, the Philippines wasn't happy with the U.S. military presence that had existed in their country since World War II. And they wanted the U.S. Navy base at Subic Bay closed. The U.S. was looking to replace the location with one in Bali, Indonesia, but there was no infrastructure there to supply and support them. So Leonard went into a partnership with people connected to the Indonesian military dictator and built the first pier in Bali. From there, Leonard moved to Singapore with the profits made in Bali, where there already was a U.S. Navy base. And in Singapore, Leonard learned how to fit in with the Navy officers. He got married twice, the first time to a Filipino woman who bore his first two children. And then after his affairs caused them to divorce, he got married a second time to a fashion model who was better at charming Navy officers than Leonard was. I bet she was. <laughs> <laughs> Leonard, of course, took notice that women were the easier path to the trust of Navy officers. His big opportunity came after the USS Cole was struck by Al-Qaeda suicide bombers in a sort of home-rigged small fiberglass boat full of explosives in 2000. Afterward, the Navy demanded perimeter security around its ships, and there was a mad scramble among contractors and husbanding agents like Leonard to provide this service in remote ports. So Leonard came up with this plan of floating 55-gallon barrels tied together with steel cables, which basically served the purpose of perimeter security in the water. But it was pretty rudimentary, right? Now, while the Navy was happy with the solution in terms of checking all the boxes when they arrived at one of Leonard's ports, they were not happy with the cost. No, they were not. Leonard was charging them anywhere from $300,000 to $650,000 to put his sort of rudimentary perimeter around a large ship docked in a port. The supply officer in Singapore, a man named Bruno Wingrowski, always complained about the prices that Leonard was charging. So naturally, Leonard went up the chain of command until he found a more reasonable friend in the United States Navy. 
and he found that friend in Lieutenant Commander Edmond Arufo, who would become the security officer for the entire 7th Fleet. Arufo, unlike Bruno, loved to party, and you could get his favor by providing him and his staff with expensive alcohol, expensive meals, and of course, women. Yes. This is where this story has an intersection with the tailhook scandal from the same era in which Leonard was flying high as a Navy contractor. For those who don't remember, in that scandal, a club of Navy pilots got in trouble for the sexual assault of a woman who was one of them and should have been treated with the same admiration they were. She was a helicopter pilot. In 1991, Paula Coughlin, the helicopter pilot, got off of an elevator in the hotel that the Navy rented a whole floor of for their annual tailhook convention and had her clothes ripped off of her and was sexually assaulted by a crowd of her drunken fellow Navy pilots. After she escaped the crowd, the Secretary of the Navy's aide personally walked into the hotel room she locked herself into and asked her, quote, why did you walk through the gauntlet as if it was her fault? I'm going to refrain because uh, I'm afraid that if I say what I really think using the words that I really want to use, we're going to get banned on Apple. But um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, in her words, speaking in an interview about the quote unquote services that Fat Leo provided to the Navy officers he befriended, Paula said, there's this gray area where the military culture has always viewed women as second-class citizens, as property, as a reward when you get into port to rape and pillage. And that gray area occurs when what they view as property now is a co-worker. And, you know, here's a little nugget of wisdom from my literary education. The origin of the Code of Chivalry for Medieval Knights was from France in the 11th century, if I remember correctly. The problem then was exactly the same thing she's talking about. Medieval knights were the worst criminals in French territory. They went from town to town, raping, robbing, and killing people for no reason other than their own greed. So the whole code of chivalry thing was meant to curtail their bad behavior by applying a set of arbitrary rules which said you could only... You know, rape a woman who owed you money on Tuesdays or something ridiculous like that. So her explanation is exactly right. Yes. And look, I feel that uh, there are still even now major, major issues in the military, all of it, not only the Navy. So it's ironic that the women will eventually both make Fat Leo rich and also they will be his downfall, isn't it? Yes, exactly. We'll explain the details as we go through all of this, but I think Leonard was able to befriend those Navy officers because they have a common psychology. Leonard, growing up, simultaneously loved being involved in his father's business and hated his father's abuse of his mother. So to reconcile all of this, along with the two divorces he himself went through, Leonard came to accept his father's view that women were basically property, you know, objects to be traded for furthering the business. Yeah, I think so, too. And in regards to what you said earlier, you know, about like how the French knights were doing the same thing to me. And this might sound sexist, but it seems to me that men really don't evolve that much over time. I feel it's an issue of gender, because at the end of the day, you don't hear of like women mass raping and doing all this stuff. 
Anyway, Leonard had put all of his skills together to win the Navy's favor in the 1990s. The officers wanted the parties with the women and the upscale meals and the booze. The enlisted men on the boats who submitted supply requests to those officers wanted an envelope full of cash in exchange for inflating the supply request to enhance the profits of people like Leo. And they all wanted trouble to go away when they got drunk and assaulted a girl while in port or got into a fight in a bar and got arrested. And Leonard paid the bribes to maintain the blind eyes of the local authorities wherever he had the port business. In the words of Michael Misowitz, the 7th Fleet scheduling officer, he was a crook, but he was our crook. The story with Michael Misowitz crossing paths with Arufo, the security officer we mentioned before, who befriended Fat Leonard, is so crazy, it's hard to believe that such a place really exists on this earth. Yes, uh, Michael was not a native-born American. He was actually a Cambodian refugee adopted by a family in Illinois. He took an American name as a child. He carried the guilt and the trauma of his family suffering and dying at the hands of the Khmer Rouge back home in the killing fields of his native country for his whole childhood and young adult life but completely committed to the culture and work of the U.S. Navy. Yeah, there's actually a film named The Killing Field, starring Sam Watterson from back in the 1980s, uh, based on a true story, which is a uh, great film adaptation about the Cambodian genocide. The Khmer Rouge were an insane revolutionary ideology, but that's another story for another episode. For the purposes of Fat Leonard... Michael, the Cambodian refugee turned U.S. Navy officer, was worth his weight in gold because he organized the scheduling for the entire 7th Fleet. By befriending Michael, Leonard could actually control where the fleet would go and when it would arrive to ensure he had everything they wanted ready to sell them when they got there. And as we mentioned before, this story of how Michael and Ed Arufo were linked with Leonard is hard to believe, but here it is. In Manila, there was a bar themed like the Lord of the Rings, founded and owned by a Peace Corps volunteer, of all people. All of the employees were little people, and all of the girls were chosen for being very petite, you know, to fit in with the theme of everyone working there being a hobbit from the Tolkien story. So I'm sure everybody is thinking what we are at this point. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, if you are in the U.S. Navy and you want to have sex with a hobbit in Manila, then by God, you will have sex with a hobbit in Manila. And Fat Leo is the man who will make that happen for you. And if you rape and abuse a hobbit in Manila, then Leo will bribe the police and the prosecutors and the victim to make sure you don't get in any trouble. I mean, what in the actual hell is going on in Manila? It's absolutely insane. And also, look, the whole thing is just so wrong. I mean, the whole concept of that place is wrong on so many levels. It might have been legal, but to me, it's just disgusting to basically exploit these people just because they're tiny. And in another bar nearby, by the way, there was a boxing ring set up where little people were also employed to have, like, staged boxing matches? Like, complete insanity. I mean, and this bar was founded by a Peace Corps guy. Yes, I mean, it's just insane. Yes. So Ed Arufo and Michael, the respective security officer and scheduling officer for the entire U.S. 7th Fleet, 
loved the girls in the boxing club in Manila. And unfortunately for him, someone took a picture of Michael shirtless in the middle of the drunken crowd with two of the girls from the club leaning all over him. Two years before, in 2009, Michael had agreed to marriage counseling after another affair he'd been caught in, that one with another Navy man's wife. When the picture from the Manila Boxing Club found its way back to Michael's wife in Illinois, she was furious. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> yes, obviously. He told Leonard about his problem, and Leonard actually gave his wife a $25,000 Gucci purse to try and appease her, but she wasn't going to be bribed with favors and gifts like her husband was. I don't even know what to say, like a Gucci purse, really. I mean, look, everybody likes a good purse, but there are things you can't buy with a Gucci purse. I mean, it's imagine being at her. She's like, sorry, there's a picture of your husband floating around shirtless in a bar with very petite uh, strippers leaning over him. Uh, but here, have a purse. Yeah, here. <laughs> After you just got out of marriage counseling because... He fucked some other Navy officer's wife. Yeah. And look, I mean, about the gifts, some of those gifts weren't nefarious. Leonard also paid for Michael to return home to Cambodia and arranged for him to meet his surviving family members there. More so than weird bar experiences in Manila, that made Fat Leo a friend for life for Michael. Exactly. And that's Leonard's talent in all of this, really. Whatever someone wants, he will find it and he will get it for you. Do you know what people can also find and get for themselves? Our dubious podcast premium episodes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, and some of them are nefarious. Let's be honest. Yeah, to be honest, some of them are about people as nefarious as the Peace Corps guy who founded that Hobbit bar in Manila. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. But presumably, if you're listening to us, you like all this sort of thing. So you should like those episodes, too. We do two premium episodes per month, which are available only to our patrons. If you guys want to get them, head to dubiouspod.com or click the link in the episode notes. Yep. And for less than a fancy coffee, you can get our premium episodes as well as all of our public episodes ad free. So back in Singapore, while Fat Leonard was having his fancy drinks on the profit he was earning from the Navy, you know, 20 cars just in Singapore, one of the most expensive houses in the country, fashion model ex-wives, all that stuff one would expect from somebody like him. He did not forget what made him his fortune. He was always making new friends in the U.S. Navy, always higher up the chain of command, always adding new sources of information and new sources of favors to his stable of customers. Yeah, the officers in particular were expensive to recruit, but Leonard spent the money on lavish parties as fast as they paid it to him for contract services. But that's not to say he didn't provide valuable services. He did, which is why he managed to stay in business for so long. For example, between 2006 and 2008, there were a string of terrorist bombings targeting Western tourists and military contractors in the Philippines, with responsibility claimed by a group calling themselves Abu Sayyaf. The U.S. sent Navy SEALs and CIA agents to root out the terrorists and protect their military assets in the Philippines, but the boats that the Navy SEALs were using were designed for short range and needed a constant refueling presence to keep them going. And that's where someone like Fat Leonard comes in. 
He actually bought a former British Navy training ship, which he renamed the Braveheart in honor of his father's Scottish heritage, and hired a couple of hundred Gurkhas to guard the fuel boat. They're former Nepali soldiers from the British Army who become mercenaries after their discharge from the British service. And after the successful defeat of Abu Sayyaf, which Leonard was instrumental in as the Navy SEALs and the CIA's fuel supplier, the Braveheart was converted into a floating casino fully stocked with the finest booze, the finest food, and the finest young girls that Fat Leo could procure. The Navy loved partying on the Braveheart so much that they decided to take it with them wherever they wanted. Fat Leo had a U.S. naval attaché in the Philippines named Michael Brooks arrange for U.S. diplomatic clearance, allowing Leo to bring the Braveheart into and out of international waters without any customs inspections at all. So, in effect, the Braveheart, a ship owned by a guy named Fat Leonard, which was basically a floating casino slash brothel, was officially listed as a U.S. warship and allowed to travel with the fleet if it wanted to, flying the U.S. Navy's flag. Yes, I mean, it's just (laughs) crazy. Absolutely incredible. Fat Leonard is my hero. But wait a minute. As we know from all of the sex cults we've talked about, uh, what are we up to now? Three, I think? Yeah, we got uh, Yves Bouvier, we got the Buenos Aires Yoga School in the last premium episode. And then, of course, Jeffrey Epstein. So that's three. Yeah, we didn't do Jeffrey Epstein, did we? No, but he comes back over and over again and all the yeah, others. Like we, so. Yeah, he was connected to some of the other. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. But in all of those cases, what you can learn is that you need compromising evidence on your party attendees to make sure you don't get in trouble for providing the party. Yes, you do. And Fat Leonard was not stupid. He had secret videos and pictures of the Navy officers from the USS Blue Ridge and the U.S. Embassy in the Philippines who attended this week-long party on the Braveheart. The list included his favorite friends, Michael Brooks, the U.S. Navy attaché from the embassy who had gotten U.S. diplomatic clearance for the boat, Michael Mizowitz, the scheduling officer for the 7th Fleet, and Ed Arufo, the 7th Fleet security officer, all celebrating the defeat of the terrorist cell Abu Sayyaf by the Navy SEALs and the CIA agents. And the only reason they had to move to the Braveheart in this case was because after three days in the presidential suite at the Makti Shangri-La Hotel in Manila, they had emptied the hotel supply of Dom Perignon champagne. <laughs> <laughs> So they decided to move to the boat where there was more high-end booze and the fresh supply of new girls Leonard had just hired all waiting for them. But all parties, sadly, must end. And as we mentioned before, it was the wives that these Navy officers were cheating on and abusing back home, which became Fat Leonard's undoing and the undoing of a lot of his Navy officer friends. I like this. It's the circle of life. It is. It really is. It is. (laughs) Marcy, the wife of Michael Mizowitz, the 7th Fleet Scheduling Officer, who at this point was due to be promoted to captain and receive command of his own ship. When Marcy found out, after separating from her husband, Michael, that he brought their children to a dinner where Ed Arufo and Fat Leonard were present, she was furious. She went to the command for the 7th Fleet to report everything she knew, and it wasn't long before the Naval Criminal Investigative Service wanted to hear her story. 
But Leo wasn't blindsided by this. He actually had a supervising agent at NCIS on his payroll. John Beliveau, special agent in charge of the NCIS headquarters in Quantico, Virginia, was a friend of Fat Leonard from the days when John was on the security detail of an admiral in Japan before he was promoted within the NCIS. And John was going to the office on evenings and weekends and pulling all of the investigative files from the agency's computer systems and giving them to Fat Leo to warn him of any impending charges or arrests that targeted him. At the same time this was going on, Marcy's husband Michael was at the Tokyo Ritz-Carlton giving Fat Leo classified documents including the entire organizational chart of officers for the 7th Fleet. Michael was being reassigned in the US, so Fat Leo needed to befriend new officers to maintain his business. Also, positions of top secret US ballistic missile defense systems throughout Asia. And all of the 7th Fleet ship schedules for the next 14 months. I mean, why isn't this all over the news? There's all this news about Trump's classified documents and where they went and who got them and where they stolen or not. And the only reason we hear about Fat Leo is because he's supposed to be sentenced and he escaped. I mean, why isn't this in the news every day? I feel like there's so much. That's the thing. Like, I was thinking the same thing. Like, this is a very newsworthy story, but at the same time with all that's been happening at a much higher level with the former president doing all kinds of crazy stuff with classified documents and giving other foreign countries information about our nuclear capabilities. It's just insane. That's the thing. The world has gone so insane that this does not even make the news. I mean, prior to this, the Navy brass had managed to protect Fat Leonard and his officer friends. Ultimately, NCIS only investigates people the Navy wants investigated, and Leo's reach was too far. If he spilled the beans on everyone he knew, it might sink the entire U.S. Navy. So NCIS was protecting him to some degree until it was discovered that an NCIS director was helping Fat Leo's conspiracy. So at that point, the DOJ's involved, and the DOJ does not need Navy permission for an investigation. Yeah, but, you know, that doesn't mean that the DOJ had permission to sink the U.S. Navy either. I mean, sure, there was a sweeping investigation beginning with Marcy Misowitz reporting her husband in 2013, but Agent Beliveau warned Fat Leo of the investigation and told him to wipe out his internet accounts. And he did wipe out his accounts and move them to a Chinese server. <laughs> <sighs> I mean, <sighs> come on, Leo. I know. It's, it's just crazy. <laughs> At this point, the DOJ had seen enough and Fat Leo was arrested by a SWAT team when he came to San Diego to meet with Navy officers in the U.S. in late 2013. By 2015, he was turned into a witness for the prosecution against corrupt Navy officers he had befriended. By 2018, he had pled guilty to lesser charges, but was allowed to stay out of prison on house arrest with an ankle monitor on, which he jokingly calls an Uncle Sam's Rolex. <laughs> <laughs> 
and 10 commissioned officers have been convicted or pled guilty, one of which was Robert Guilbeau, uh, a man who was shortlisted to be the chief of staff of the Navy. He was the first admiral to be convicted of a crime and serve jail in U.S. history. Nine other commissioned officers are awaiting trial or sentencing after being charged with crimes in relation to Fat Leonard, and 12 enlisted men have been charged, and it goes without saying that the enlisted men have gotten their harsher sentences, while most of the admirals have walked free after pleading to lesser charges with their pensions intact. Of course it does. As for Fat Leonard, he was due to be sentenced, finally, on September 22, 2022, but he is not going to be sentenced the day after we publish this episode. No, he isn't. And why is that? Because he escaped. No one knows where he is. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, escape is a strong word, I think. He took off the, quote, Uncle Sam Rolex on the morning of September the 5th, and no one noticed for over six hours. The neighbors said there was a U-Haul parked outside of his house in the days before. No one cared about that either. The security contractor that the federal court hired to monitor his house apparently hadn't shown up to check on the house for days at a time. Yeah, it's almost as if hiring f***ing contractors to do the government's job is f***ing stupid. <laughs> I mean, yes, but how can that be? Hiring a contractor to charge more money to do the same thing only worse than people on your payroll would do themselves, it seems like such a good idea. It would be all very funny if Chinese intelligence guys weren't looking over the missile battery maps right now, wouldn't it? I don't know. It can still be funny, I suppose. If it weren't Fat Leonard, it would be someone else doing the same thing. I mean, this is the problem with an empire built on greed. It's good that we're not uh, a British 19th century empire, like militarily enforcing our will on other countries by the butts of rifles, I suppose. But it is still a house of cards because all anyone is taught to care about is the money. But ultimately, money's only good for what you can buy with it. Otherwise, it's just kind of stupid green paper. So there's always going to be somebody to sell the girls for the Navy parties or sell the casino boat rides to the Navy officers or sell classified Navy documents or sell the whole Seventh Fleet to a guy like Leonard Francis. Yeah, well, we just had the episode about uh, the Merchant of Death, Victor Boot. Same thing. There's always going to be a Victor Boot. Yeah, he's now arrested. But like, let's be honest, uh, there's somebody else, some other international arms dealer doing the same thing. Yes. So what's the dubimeter for horny Navy officers selling the Seventh Fleet to a contractor named Fat Leo in exchange for girls and booze? <sighs> I mean, I would say... I, am I surprised? I kind of am because it's a very crazy story. On the other hand, I think that this type of fraud and kind of like bribery cases are happening quite often. So I would say scale one to 10, I would say a nine. Yes. You know, something else I stumbled across after we wrote this episode, the woman we mentioned earlier in the episode, Paula Coughlin, who was the woman assaulted in the tailhook scandal back in the 1990s. She said that uh, shortly after that happened, she was confronted uh, by a wife of one of the other Navy pilots who was involved in the scandal. And she said something to the effect of, 
I'm going to pray for you, and I hope that uh, you find peace. Oh, because, give me a because break. you you cost my husband uh, never being promoted to admiral. Uh, and doesn't that sound? Can you sound... just put some slapping sounds over the face here, like yeah, boom, yeah. boom? Because I, I mean, this is incredible. Like, it, not is only it, here's the thing, blaming, isn't that, but isn't that exactly what Clarence Thomas's wife said to Anita Hill in that yes. voicemail? Yes, yes, exactly. Well, and it's also praying and the religious. This is the whole situation here. It's a certain part of society that has been indoctrinated to think like that. And it's this quote unquote righteous wives who would rather blame the victims that their husbands rape or, you know, abuse rather than like divorce yes, their that's husband. What gets me. I mean, it's, like, it's just insane. How can you be presented with the knowledge that your husband has Raped. done this, this terrible yes. thing yes. to somebody else, to one of his coworkers, who is also a Navy pilot, and your response is to blame the other person that your husband has done this to? Just absolutely crazy. Yeah, it's just the whole story is insane and I don't know. It's it's a good story. I think it's relevant. I think it should be talked about more in the news, but with so much going on, it's not. That's why we brought it to you. Yes. So <laughs> So do you agree with Dubimeter 9 for this episode? All in all. Yes, we got to go to Manila and take a look at these weird bars one of these days. It's stuck in my brain now. It's like etched into my psyche. Yeah, I can't believe all of that is happening. It's a crazy story. And I don't know. We hope you liked it, guys. Thanks for listening, everybody. We are at Dubious Pod on all of your social medias. Sharing our episodes and telling your friends about us is always appreciated. Yes, and maybe a five stars nice review is also appreciated because we love praise and good feedback. See you guys next time. We love you. 